0: series for the last, well, this is number five, actually, called Vertical Worship. That's what we've entitled this, and uh, I think you will appreciate the Word of God, the revelation that's going to come today. God really put some things on my heart, and uh, we're going to talk about overcoming fear today. Some ask the question, is it literally, is it possible to live every day from this day forward? The past you can't change, but from here on you can you have a certain amount of control over that. Is it possible to live from april seventh moving forward to live life without yielding to fear? And the answer is Yes. Yes. But you know, people and the devil will tell you, No, that's not possible, you know. But we're going to talk about that today because God has given us some powerful, powerful Revelations and weapons that we have to understand how the spirit of fear works, but we see in Mark chapter four. We've been talking for the last two sessions about our relationship with the Word of God, and we talked about the parable, of the sower. We'll just touch on this briefly here today. But in Mark four verse sixteen, in the, in, the, in explaining the parable, of the sower, Jesus said, "This is the most powerful, this is the most important parable of all the parables." Mentioned in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, because when we understand the, when we understand the parable of the sower, he says, "Then we'll understand how the word of God works." Hallelujah! Now I don't know about you, but how many of you have some maybe uh, pieces of equipment you use it, but you're not sure how it works. You just know that it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm looking at right now my cell phone. Okay, I'm telling you, this thing has this thing can do everything but dance. I mean, it's got everything on it. You know what I'm saying? And you uh, I mean I can do my banking information on calendars, email, text messaging, uh, I, my walking app when I take walks. Amen. Tells me how far I'm going. And all that. I mean, all kind of stuff. Now I can't tell you exactly how it works, but I know that it works. Amen. And uh, we may not know exactly how things work, but Jesus explains to us how the Word of God works in Mark chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse 16. It's Mark, 6, Mark chapter 4 and verse 16. And I believe the lid's going to come off today as far as uh, our understanding of this revelation. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Say stony ground. Okay, now Jesus mentions four types of grounds here. Wayside, stony, thorny, and then good ground. Okay, And the ground is, is, is the, the heart, symbolic of the heart, the human spirit. The seed is representative of the Word of God. Seed and ground, right? And so what we see here in verse 16 is, is these are lay, they likewise that are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word of God, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, but afterwards endure for a time, but afterwards, when affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they become offended. Now we looked at this particular ground over the last couple of sessions, about stony ground, that the the enemy comes uh, and he brings these two things, affliction and persecution. But they arise for what's sake? Word. The word of God. Okay? And so the enemy puts pressure. That, and, and we use this illustration. It's kind of like everybody understands, especially in this city, football. Right? <laughs> everybody understand the Steelers, right? The football. And, you know, they always tackle the guy with the what? Ball. The ball. Now, if the offense has the ball and they fumble it and the defense picks up the ball, the defense suddenly becomes the offense. And the ball becomes the threat. Now, in ourselves, we are not really a threat to the devil, but the word in us is a threat to his kingdom. Praise God. But Jesus has given us more than we need to be able to stand against him and to come out victorious in every situation in life. Now, he says that persecution and affliction will rise for the word's sake. We brought out the fact that affliction just means outward pressure. Affliction. Your refrigerator breaks down, your car breaks down, you know, stuff happens. It has nothing to do with a personality, whereas persecution has to do with a person, okay? Now, a lot of times, uh, uh, for example, there's more severe cases of persecution than there, and there's, there's subtle forms of persecution. And, uh, you know, more of a subtle type of persecution would be people avoid you. They don't want to get around you. They treat you differently. But they're not picking up stones and throwing them at you, right? But you have the, the real severe cases where there's beheadings and things like that. People are stoned. You'll find it in the New Testament where Stephen was a man of God, and he was actually stoned uh, by the Apostle Paul who was Saul of Tarsus. Remember that? And then that's more obviously a severe case of persecution. And the thing is, is the, the people that are behind this don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. When Jesus was on the cross, how many of you know he was the most persecuted person that ever lived? Do you know Jesus suffered rejection more than any human being on this earth? I mean, think about that. They beat him, spit on him, pulled his beard out, the Bible says, mocked him. Oh, The sufferings that Jesus went through are beyond any human being could ever experience. He knows what it's like to be rejected. Okay, but those sufferings that he took were literally for you and for me. All his sufferings were not in vain. They were. They were. They, he suffered tremendously. He suffered persecution, but you'll see that Jesus Christ on the cross, in his darkest hour, when he was probably in his excruciating pain, he said, "This Father, forgive them; they know not what they do." They were being persecuted. They persecuted Jesus. But they didn't realize that another entity was controlling how they were responding and acting towards him. There was a prince of the power of the air that was working in them to persecute Jesus. Now, Jesus. Now, we don't forgive demons and devils, but we forgive people. And he said, Lord, think about it. He said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Well, yeah, that's Jesus. He could do that, Right. Well, there's another man that did that too. His name is Stephen. (laughs) Right? And Stephen was being persecuted by Saul of Tarsus. And they picked up stones and they stoned him. Now, I'm convinced that Stephen didn't feel a blasted thing. He didn't feel any pain at all. The Bible says that he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. I believe God just took his spirit up before the rocks started flying. God's grace is sufficient. Amen. But, but before that happened, right before the last thing that Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. In other words, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amen? Now, that's, another, that's a man other than Jesus, right? And so, we have the power to forgive. Amen? Amen? Because unforgiveness hinders us, but it doesn't hurt another person. It just hinders us, right? It's so important. Now, I want to show you something about that. I wasn't planning on saying this, but there is such power in forgiveness that it will release the sickem power of the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean, sickem? Okay? Now, when I was a young kid, I was probably 10 years old. There was we had some demon-possessed neighbors in my neighborhood, literally. <laughs> And I mean, they were as mean as the devil. They'd beat up on people. They moved in from the inner city to the suburbs where we lived, you know. And I mean, they were so mean and so big, and they would just abuse people and bully people, you know. And they had a, they had a, uh, a police. It was a, I think it was a military German Shepherd that was trained to attack people. Okay. And I went over. They had lured me. I came over there, and they're acting real friendly to me. And all this, and all of a sudden. That the older brother, who's probably four or five years older than me, he looked at the dog, and he let him go, and he goes, sick him. okay, within seconds, I'm about from here to the back row there, within seconds, that dog jumped on me and ripped me to shreds. I mean, to tell him, he started ripping me up. Yeah, there's blood everywhere. And I just remember, I had, I had, somebody had gave me that for a birthday, or Christmas, I think, it was a, it was a Hawaiian shirt, one of those real colorful shirts, and I, I really liked that shirt. <laughs> and that dog ripped that thing up. I mean, it was just slices up the back. And then they went over and they jumped on the dog. You know what I'm saying? All right? And so, uh, I don't even know why I'm sharing that, but, but it's like, um, yeah, here's here's the point is this. I forgave them. <laughs> Amen? That family had a hard life after that. I can tell you that. I man. they went through some hard ships because they sowed a lot of bad seed. And it came back on them. Oh, man. And, uh, but, but. There's power in forgiveness where you can actually, and I, I'm not being uh, sacrilegious when I say sick and Holy Ghost. You understand what I mean. But the Holy Ghost will go after your enemies, amen? And, and Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. In other words, forgive them. Forgive uh, Saul of Tarsus. Well, what happened right after that is pretty amazing because the Lord went after, and I believe it's because Stephen prayed. Stephen released forgiveness, you know. Our enemies, if we have any enemies, we want the Holy Ghost chasing them, don't we? We want the Holy Ghost to go after them, not to wish evil on them. We want God to get a hold of them because they don't understand what they're doing. Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're not in the right mind, okay? They're controlled by the prince of the power of the air. And so Stephen said, Lord, forgive them. Lay not this into their charge. And guess what happened right after that? Not too long after that, Saul of Tarsus was on, he was uh, on the road to Damascus with letters in his hand from the governor to literally go, he had legal right from the government to go into houses where there was believers and drag them out, persecute them, beat them, put them into prison. Okay, that's what he did to Stephen. So on the road to Damascus, suddenly there came a light that shined from heaven and knocked Saul of Tarsus off his horse. Bam. (laughs) Boom. Everybody say boom. (laughs) He hit the ground so hard and he heard in a Hebrew tongue the Lord saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And the first thing he said was, Lord, what should I do? <laughs> he got saved on one word, Lord. Amen. I mean, he had such an encounter with God that knocked the S off his name and gave him a P. He became Saul, he became Paul. <laughs> Amen. And he had, and, and you know, Paul, Saul of Tarsus became the great apostle Paul, which I think is the greatest apostle that ever lived. Amen. And I mean, he covered. He, he wrote three fourths of the New Testament, and the grace of God was so powerful on him that I believe if you go back upstream where it all started, it started with Stephen releasing forgiveness on Saul of Tarsus, and then God went after him. Isn't that better when it turns out like that? Amen. So persecution can turn around. Amen. That's a little extra. I won't charge you for that. But let's go to Mark chapter four, verse eighteen. So persecution and affliction arise for the word's sake, but we can, we can overcome that, amen? We don't have to be offended. All of us here have, have, have the opportunity to become offended. And sometimes as human beings, we all have unrealistic expectations of things and people that if those expectations aren't met, then we look at them a little differently. We say, I expected more of you. And so sometimes we can get offended But we don't understand always maybe what that person's going through. I mean, you you talk about road rage and people acting ugly and stuff, you know. We shouldn't always take it personally because that person is being controlled by another spirit. And who knows? God only knows what they're going through. Maybe their husband or wife just left them, you know. Maybe something bad just happened. They lost somebody that passed away, you know. And so they're just acting out and you happen to be in the way. Okay, But we don't, we don't want to take it personally, okay? Do you understand that? But in Mark chapter 4, and verse 18, it says, These are likewise that are sown on thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, notice it's not riches, it's the deceitfulness of riches. And the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and the word becomes unfruitful. All right? Now, what I want to bring out here is this. The cares of this world, uh, the worries of this world are sent to choke the word of God, right? Now, let's go over real quickly to 1 Peter again. We saw this last week. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll touch on this and we'll go in a little bit deeper here today. The cares of this life, the worries, the anxieties of this life are meant to choke the word of God inside of us. All of us, probably on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, have uh, opportunity to worry about something. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Am I reaching anybody here this morning? How I many of you have almost daily opportunities to worry about something? Your son, your daughter, your, your, your job, or lack thereof, your, your finances, your physical body, you know? Uh, who knows? It could be anything. But cares and worries and anxieties are meant to choke the word of God. It says, these are they that are sown among thorns. Hmm. Where have we heard that phrase before? Now, what did they put on Jesus' head before he went to the cross? A crown of what? Oh, the thorns, the cares of this world affect our mind, right? Now, to this day in Israel, now I, I love anything about Israel. That's our roots, our spiritual roots, you know. And up where Golgotha is, the place of the skull where they, where they crucified Jesus, is it still the, the exact spot is still there where they crucified Jesus. On that hill up there is the same hill that Abraham offered Isaac up to the Lord. Remember that? He was going to sacrifice him and then the Lord stopped him. And it says that there was a ram caught in the thicket and the thorns. That's a type of Christ. The thorns entangled that lamb, that ram, who was a type of Christ. And a couple thousand years later, Jesus is crucified on that same spot. Because Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. That's prophetic, right? So a couple thousand years later, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, on that spot up on Mount Moriah. And he was crucified, and he became the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And he became the sacrifice. Hallelujah. But see, those thorns are still there to this day. I saw a video recently. A guy was up there doing some archaeological research and all this kind of stuff. He says, look, these same thorns are still here. And I mean, they're like this long. Okay, We're not talking a rose bush where they're just, they still hurt. They're small. We're talking like one, one and a half inch long thorns that they made a crown of thorns thrusted into his head, into his brain. Think about that. Oh, that that pain that Jesus shed his blood in so many different places. I mean, he shed his blood starting in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was under such intense pressure that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He didn't just shed his blood when they put the nails in his hands and his feet. When they put the thorns, when they plucked his beard, that would cause him to bleed. He bled in several different places before he went to the cross. But see, those, those that, are, that hear the word and the cares of this world, it says it's thorny ground. But those thorns that were placed on Jesus' head were placed there so that you wouldn't have to take those cares, those worries, those anxieties. Now sometimes, you know, you can get so acclimated, you know, depending on, none of us came out of perfect homes. Let's just face the facts. I did not come out originally out of a Christian home where my my parents were praising God, studied the word of God, taught me the word of God. Didn't happen, okay? It was later in life that I learned as as an older teenager, I began to learn for the first time the word of God. But see, fear and worry is a learned behavior because little children don't know how to fear. They're taught how to be afraid, right? Well, if you can be taught how to, afraid, to be afraid, you can also be, you can school yourself, re yourself to learn how to avoid fear, how to stay out of worry. They say that there are more people in, in hospitals, even in mental hospitals today, because of fear, related circumstances because fear is a spiritual thing but it affects us physically. I heard a true story many, many years ago about a college campus. I'm not sure where it was but an actually true story of uh, they had these sororities, you know, where people were there initiated. You know what I'm saying? People going to college. And uh, this college was out in the country somewhere and, uh, and so they had there was a, a train that would come through uh, every single night would come through uh, right by this college, and so that it would the students, the college students would hear it, it was loud and so forth, you know. but, but up up in the, where this, uh, these tracks were, there was another side of tracks that were not being used. They were used previously, and they were non-commissioned, but they were, the tracks were still there, they just weren't being used, but they were right next to the good tracks. And so for an, an, for an initiation. They took one of the stone of the kids, and they took them up there, blindfolded them up, and tied them to the railroad tracks uh, next to the ones that are being used. They tied them to the unused railroad tracks. And they, you know, of course, blindfold them as an initiation to get into this sorority. Fr- fraternity. fraternity, whatever it is. OK? Same thing, I don't know. And so. Uh, and they're all laughing about it. They're all having a good time. They said, this is a, he's, a, he's a freshman. You know, we're going to go do this. So they took him up, blindfolded him, took him up there. Now, he's not familiar with this train thing. He's not familiar. with. He hasn't even been up there yet. So they take him up their time to there. And then they knew at a certain time of night, 9 o'clock, the train would come through. And, and sure enough, the train came through. And then they went back up to untie him. And they found out he was dead. And they thought, oh, my God. What happened? Well, they found out that he died of fear. He had a heart attack. And the train didn't run him over. Fear ran him over. Think about that. Now, Jesus said this. He said in, the, in Matthew, he says, he says, in the last days, people are going to look out and men's hearts will fail them for fear of looking after those things that are coming to the earth. Now, as a believer... We look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't have to be afraid of anything. God is going to take care of us in the last days. It saddens my heart to see, quote, ministries that are selling dried food. And they're making a lot of money on it because they're propagating fear that, you know, we're going to go through the tribulation. We need to stock up, you know, we need to... We need to get some canned food and rations and all this kind of stuff because the devil's coming, the Antichrist is coming. It's a bunch of hogwash, okay? But there are ministries on TV today that literally are selling that kind of stuff. And I mean, they're making millions off of this. And it's all fear propagated. Are you with me now? It's wrong. It's really wrong. But see, that student, that freshman student, didn't die of a train wreck fear overtook him and it literally stopped his heart think about that now fear will do that to your human body what do you think faith will do to your body there's something that's the opposite they're both fear and faith are reciprocals right actually fear is nothing more than faith in the devil's word where faith in God is faith in his word faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, if you hear the wrong things, fear can come too. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the word of the devil. (laughs) Right? And really the more the enemy set up this way but the more that you hear something negative from different sources the more you tend to believe it even if it's a lie. Look at the national media today. Rehearsing. Collusion, Russian collusion. Uh, Just regurgitating that over and over again. Do you know there's a lot of people that believe that? There's no truth to it whatsoever. There's zero truth. I'm not trying to be political. But they know that if they can get that out there and get that out there, get there, there are certain, there's like 40% or more of the the, uh, population in the United States that believes that junk from fake news. Are you with me now? Huh? Say fake news. Who's the origin of fake news? The devil. He's the originator of lies, speaking lies of hypocrisy, okay? And we shouldn't believe a word he says. The thought comes to you, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to live out your life. You say, ah, oh, you're a liar and the father thereof. He cannot speak the truth. The devil cannot. The only time he can speak the truth if it's to, for his advantage. But he will never tell you something that's true. He'll try to get you to swallow a lie, to believe a lie, and it's not true at all. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting your cares, all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Notice that knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished or take place in your brethren that are in the world. We brought out the fact last week, uh, if you remember this, that if you take one of these verses out of its setting, for example, get the devil goes about like a roaring lion, ready to pounce on you. And it kind of gives the impression that you have no control over that. Mm-hmm. Like the boogie monster's coming after you, you better watch out. Mm-hmm. Okay? But see, the the, the devil just can't, He's looking for someone he can devour. Now listen really carefully. The devil can't just devour anybody. If he could, he would do it all to all of us. But he does. he's able to devour us in the sense that if we don't cast our cares upon the Lord. In context, that's what he's saying here. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Because the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour... But resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, submit this to you today. This is great news. The enemy cannot devour you or me if our cares are cast on the Lord. Hallelujah. In other words, your worries, your anxieties, I give them to you, Lord. I refuse to worry. Almost really on a daily basis, I make a choice. And I have to remind myself sometimes, too. I say, today, I refuse to be afraid. I say that a lot. I choose to not be afraid. I choose to trust God. I will not. I resist fear. I resist worry. I resist anxiety. This is really important stuff, folks, I'm sharing right now. Really important. Because your cares... I had the Lord say this to me by the Spirit of God, in my spirit, several years ago. And it took me by surprise when he said it to me, because I've, I've developed in hearing the voice of God. I still am. All of us should. And the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, I'm a selfish God. Well, that was kind of odd to hear that. He said, yep, I'm a selfish God. I said, Lord, you're going to have to explain that to me. I don't know what, you know, sometimes he'll throw that out to you, kind of bait you, you know what I mean? He, sa- he says, yep, I'm a selfish God. And he said this. I go, Lord, explain what you're trying to tell me because I knew there was a catch to that. He said, here's the deal. I don't want to share any cares with you. I want them all. Then I got it. Do you get that? He says, I don't want you to have some of the cares then I have some of your cares. He goes, I want all of them. And I said, okay, I get that. And sometimes he'll catch you. He'll say something like that. And we're like, what are you, where are you going with this, Lord? You know, that doesn't sound right, you know. But then there's a catchphrase to it. He says, I don't want to share any cares with you. I want to have all of your cares. So that brings us back to the first point that we brought up at the beginning of this. Is it possible to live Monday through Sunday without yielding to fear and worry? Yep yep now there 's always going to be reasons, natural reasons to be afraid and to worry and, and to yield to that, but the good news is is, is we don 't have to we don 't have to be devoured by fear. I mean, people worry about all kinds of stuff you know there 's all kinds of worries. people worry about their future, they worry about their future mate, or they worry about their husband, they worry about their wife, they worry about their kids, uh, they worry about uh, Finances, You know, I mean, there's only so many things that we all face, right? And, and people worry about sickness and disease and things like this. But literally, we can live every single day if a care comes at us in the form of a thought. That's how it comes in the form of a thought in your mind. A worried thought, an anxious thought. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, take no thought saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? In other words, he says, don't take an anxious thought, but give it to God. Amen? Amen. On another occasion, the Holy Ghost said this. He said, it's impossible. He said this to me. He said, it's impossible, Keith, for you to be depressed and sad if your mind is on my word. And he said, the reason you and other people are sad and depressed sometimes is because you're not allowing your mind to be on the right things. And that's why the Bible says whatever things are true in Philippians 4, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are honest, think on these things. Amen? You see, we come to church not to be entertained, not for me to jump through the hoop and put on a performance. The reason, the number one reason we come to church is to train our human spirits with the revelation of the word of God. That's why we come, get our spirits fed. And I submit this to you today, it's not just me teaching, it's the Holy Ghost through me teaching you today. How many of you believe that? I mean, I'm, I, listen, I know within myself, I am nothing, I have nothing to offer. Zero. Okay, you get that? Zero. But in Jesus, I can offer you things that I never could. Amen. And I want to provide for you today. And I don't care who's here or who's not here. It doesn't matter. Amen? I want to provide for you a spiritual platter that you can look at and say, My God, I can this is like a five-course meal. I can eat this and take it home and apply it in my life. Amen? Mm-hmm. And that's what I did as a young believer. I got a hold of this Word. And I'll tell you, it changed my life. And it's still changing my life. Hell, amen? And so... Uh, we see that we we're supposed to cast our cares upon the Lord, and that way, we will not become thorny ground. Sometimes you'll be going along, maybe maybe a few times or several times during a day, and you'll get an anxious thought: What are you going to do? What's going to happen? How's this going to work out? Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Well, it's happened to me. All of a sudden, you hear: What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All of a sudden, there's a duet <laughs> and a trio. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast my cares on the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Now, there, I, I'll be honest with you. There, are, there have been times where I, did, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to cast my care upon you, but I sure don't know how you're going to work this out. But always remember this. It's not your job to try to figure out how it's going to work out. You know, you've you got a situation with your family. You're thinking, how in the world is this going to work out? Rely on God. Trust in Him. He's able to bring someone else across their path that can minister to them that you know not of. He's able to do that. And just, you walk free from that care and say, no, I'm going to enjoy my life today. God wants you to enjoy every single day. What is this? Uh, April the 7th. I mean, there's no reason from here on today at 1130... From this moment forward, why this week can't be the best week you've had in years. It can be. With a positive expectation of God taking care of you, He loves you. He says, casting all of your cares upon Him in 1 Peter 5, 7. Why? Because He cares for you. Do you know what that word care means? It means because He loves you. The reason I can give my cares <coughs> to the Lord is because I know he loves me. Amen? We have a loving Savior and a loving shepherd. We'll see this here in a second. That he loves us so much, that's why he wants us to bring our our cares to him. And, you know, maybe we're not used to that. There was a time that I wasn't used to that. And I still have to remind myself when I face pressures or concerns that that come against me, I have to say, Father, I, I know you love me. Because you told me that, so I give this to you right now. But you do it, you release it by faith. You just release it by faith. You don't wait for some goosebumps to show up or anything. You just say, Lord, you, you trust me. I trust you. Okay, so let's go over to 2 Timothy here, and we'll conclude here today. In uh, 2 Timothy, the uh, first chapter, And I want to kind of set the stage here because uh, if you're not familiar, there's 1 Timothy and there's 2 Timothy, right? Now, Timothy was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He called him his child in the faith, Timothy, right? So, Timothy was a product, a byproduct of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And so, Timothy began to develop and he also, to the point where he became a pastor of a church. Okay? And so you see there's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Timothy writes Paul a letter, and he's asking him questions. And Paul responds, and that's the letter that we have. He's responding to his questions. In 1 Timothy, you see, he talks about how, you know, you should treat... Women in the church, men in the church, and older people in the church. And he had questions about deacons and how they deacon and all this kind of stuff, you know, and elders and how they L. I'm just kidding. Okay. And he, he had basic questions about church growth and things like that and, uh, and, and how to handle situations in your church, right? But you come over to 2 Timothy, which is the second letter, and it looks like the bottom of the barrel just fell out. What happened? Because he's talking about the spirit of fear and all this kind of stuff, and we'll read this is what happened is there's a guy oh what's his name Nero, Nero one of the most wicked rulers uh, of the of that time that ruled in that particular the heir you know and he was a made Nero was a uh, tremendous persecutor of the church of God. I mean he would invent things to torture I'm not going to go into great detail, but I know Rick Renner, who's a Greek scholar, talked about how the original sliding board was not like on a playground. It was a, they would slide Christians down, and there was a knife at the end, a really sharp knife, and he would fillet Christians in half. Okay? And these are he would persecute Christians. So, as a result of this intense persecution and people's lives being taken, a spirit of fear came into the church it was growing originally. Okay, this is the background here, the setting. And uh, people are defecting. People are leaving because fear has been overtaken, the believers. And, and, and then Timothy, who was a young pastor, standing there, says, what do I do in this situation? How do we handle this? I mean, this intense persecution. If you look up Nero, N-E-R-O, you do a search on him, you'll find out just how bad and how wicked he really was. And so, as we come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, knowing what I just shared, this will kind of give you some insight to why Paul is writing Timothy now. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, Paul writing to Timothy, "...when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in you also." Now, I want you to see something right here, that Timothy had a mother and a grandmother that were godly. He he mentions them right here. He said, you know, the the genuine faith at first that dwelt in your grandmother, her name is Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And he says, I am persuaded that it is in you also. And then verse 6, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on of my hands... For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I would venture to say that that Timothy was in an excruciating, if that's the word I want to use, a tremendous pressure, fear was trying to overtake him because of the persecution. Correct? Correct? and so there were people defecting they were leaving his church you know because of fear was just driving them crazy and they just left because of fear that Paul when he wrote him he says look he says I'm going to tell you something Timothy he said I knew your grandma amen big mama (laughs) he says your grandmother and your mama I'm paraphrasing he goes I'm persuaded that the spirit that was in them is on the inside of you Now, it's interesting because the Bible says that Timothy's father was a Greek. Now, it doesn't say anything about his spiritual condition. Paul doesn't even bring up his father right here. He brings up his grandmother and his mother, which means if you come out of a single type of home, God's can still be strong with you, amen? If one of the spouses is serving God and the other's not, God can still overcompensate for the lack of the other one to make up. He says, your grandmother... And your mother had the spirit of faith. And Timothy, I'm going to stir you by way of remembrance to tell you this the same spirit that was in your grandmother and in your mom are in the inside of you. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Timothy's grandmother and mother were not wimps, they were not chicken. We understand that. They weren't wimps. They probably ate chicken, but they weren't chicken. Because church people know a lot about fried chicken, right? <laughs> right? But they weren't chicken. They weren't afraid. And Paul says, I'm persuaded. So Timothy had to be reminded. He says, look, I know you're facing fears, but here's the, here's the deal. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Three things. What's, the devil comes with one thing, what? Fear. What do we have? Power, love, sound mind. That's three to one. Say, I have power. I have, power. I have love. I, have power. <laughs> I know what you're thinking about. And a sound mind. <laughs> it's a little inside joke. Praise the Lord. I have power. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. What was the name of that movie? Huh? Huh? Cool Runnings. You ever saw that movie, Cool Runnings? You ever see that? That's It's funny. It's funny. It's a clean, cool movie. Praise God. <laughs> the guy looks in the mirror and says, I have power. <laughs> He's trying to convince himself, you know. Do you ever see that Anybody ever see that movie? <laughs> I won't say the rest. But he, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So... Um, and here's what I want to kind of leave you with here today. These are reasons that, you, that we don't have to be afraid. As a Christian, all of you in this room, hey, I don't care if you've been saved for one day. You have absolute, total victory and authority over Satan and all his cohorts if you're a Christian because God lives on the inside of you. And this scripture says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So there is a thing called the spirit of fear. So where does that come from? From the devil, right? So if God didn't give you and me the spirit of fear, then it must come from another source. And there's only one other source, and that's what? The devil, right? If you feel afraid, if you feel fear, you know the enemy's talking to you. Okay? Okay? You wake up in the middle of the night, sit up in bed, boom, a thought comes to you, whoa, a panic attack. Something of that nature comes to you, what am I going to do? And it could be about anything. I know what that's like, I've been there and done that, okay? I know what it's like to even lose sleep, to sit up and worrying about something, but I've also learned how to overcome that through the Word of God. I'm nothing special, but the Word of God is, Right? And I'll tell you, we can cling to that word, cling to the word of God. So the first thing we have to realize is that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We have to uh, camp on the fact that what we have, I have power, I have love, and I have a sound mind. And the enemy only comes with fear, but I have power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I don't know how many times I've done this. I've quit counting, it's... Probably in the thousands. And I continue to do this. I'll say out loud God has not given me, to myself, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to worry. I refuse to have anxiety. Hallelujah. Because God has not given me the spirit of fear. I have power, I have love, and I have a sound mind. Say, I have power. I have, love, I have love, and I have a sound mind. Now you say that, say it out loud. Now when, the, when Jesus resisted the devil in the wilderness, this temptations, is one of the three different times he came to him. When the devil brought the temptation, Jesus said out loud, where well you could hear it, if you were there, you would have heard it, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he spoke out a verse. He spoke out the word of God, and the devil left him. You have the ability to open your mouth and say a scripture, and that's how you resist him. You resist him with the word of God, and that is the most dangerous weapon to him. That's what defeats him. It's fruitless to think, you know, well, if I had this powerful rifle, big gun, a knife, big long machete knife, I could just rip up the devil. But see, you can't do that. He's a spiritual being. And you're using a physical weapon, you can't, he'll laugh at you, right? So, Satan is a spirit, and you have to fight him with spiritual weapons. And the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. I like to just go around and say, It is written, it is written. I don't wait for temptation to come. It is written, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. It is written, it is written, by his stripes I was healed since 2,000 years ago. It is written, my God has not given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And that's how you stir yourself up. Paul said, stir up, stir up the gift of God that is in you. Stir up the amber, the flames, stir up the gift of God by way of remembrance. That's how we do that. Now, today, by the Spirit of God, I believe the Holy Spirit through me is stirring you up today to say, yep, I'm taking that. That's mine. And and we're fully... Abraham was fully persuaded, right? So we can become fully persuaded that the Word of God is working for us. Real quickly go to uh, Isaiah chapter 41. I just have two more scriptures and we'll close here today. In Isaiah 41... In verse 10, the first reason we don't have to fear or be afraid is God has not given us the spirit of fear. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? Now, in Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, God says this. Well, oh, I love this. God says, fear thou not. Why? For I am with you. <laughs> he says, don't be afraid. Why? I'm with you. He goes on to say, do not be dismayed or confused. Why? For I am your God. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to be dismayed or confused. He's your God. And then he goes on to say, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand, excuse me, of my righteousness. I think somebody did some research and uh, the word fear not, this is kind of interesting, is used 365 times in the Bible. How many days are there in a year? There's a fear not for every day of your life. Somebody, I don't, I never looked it up myself, but there's, God did some research, said the Lord said, in essence, he said, fear not, don't be afraid, 365 times in the Bible. And that's a fear not for every single day of an entire year. Hallelujah. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not every single day. I'm not afraid, I refuse to be afraid. We've got this song that we'll probably do it next week. It's called, I'm not afraid. It's a pretty wild song, but I love it. I'm not afraid, amen. Because God is with me. And so, in conclusion here, he says, fear thou not. Why? I'm with you. Folks, children of God, did you know God is with you? Now, you don't necessarily feel that when you wake up in the morning. You're like, just kind of drag yourself out of bed and you get to church, you know. And I don't really feel like God's with me. But he says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. You know, now my wife is with me right now. I don't feel any special feeling. I don't have any goosebumps. My daughter's with me right here. She's right here with me, both of them. There's no special feeling, but I know they're with me. Are you with me? We don't have to wait for some special feeling. Now, maybe they feel special because I'm here. I'm just kidding. Maybe they had some goosebumps. (laughs) Just playing with you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh, But you don't have to have a special feeling and say, ooh, God's in this place, you know. I mean, the fact is, what God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never. Amplified says, no, never. I'll never, ever leave you or forsake you. Even in your so-called darkest hour, God is there with you. And that's the reason. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a scaredy cat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember that phrase when you were younger, scaredy cat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. God don't want you scared. <laughs> he doesn't want you to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Now the last. Here's the last thing. Go real quickly to Psalm 23, and here's where we'll launch off today. And, I'll leave you with this now we're all pretty familiar with the Psalm 23 now here's the the thing about Psalm, David wrote this Psalm 22 is about the sufferings of Christ Psalm 23 is about the present day of Jesus Christ, the Lord is my shepherd Psalm 24 is about Jesus coming back Okay? Praise the Lord. But in Psalm 23, we are living right now in the 23rd Psalm. Now, remember Jesus said this in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd, and we being his sheep. And he went on to say this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. Mm. So the enemy has a voice but Jesus said my sheep know my voice. Mm. Now how do you know? Listen. How do you know when God's talking to you? Peace. You know God is talking to you when you have joy and peace because every time God says something to you it gives you a sense of it's going to be all right. Now I know some people that have gone to heaven, that died on an operating, this one guy that I know of, he died on an operating, uh, his name is Kevin Sade, Z A D A I I A or something like that. Do you know who he is? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was, he was in for surgery and he, he died on the operating table. He says, all of a sudden, you know, he was like oral, oral surgery. He says his spirit left his body and all of a sudden he's standing back looking down at this body and he says, my God, that's my body. How can I see my body if I'm, you know, he's trying to figure this out. And he realized his spirit left his body. Now he he described in detail to the doctors and the nurses even the kind of shoes they were wearing after he came back in his body. The, the, this one lady was wearing, the one of the nurses was wearing a certain color shoe. And there's no way that he would have known that. But when he was out of his body, his spirit left his body. And he's standing there. He described in detail, he heard their whole conversation. And he said, and all of a sudden, he looked to the side and there was Jesus standing there with him. And he said, as soon as he saw Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, he said, peace flooded him. He said, there's no other way to describe it. He says, when you're in his presence, there's such joy and such peace. It's like you can cut a chunk out with a knife. It's so thick. And he said, the other thing he noticed was this. He said, these spiritual forces are amplified when you're out of your body. You're in the spirit. Your spiritual senses are so amplified. You smell things. You see things. You hear things better than anything. Okay, And... uh And he said this, here's the thing, he said he felt love coming from Jesus like no human has ever loved him, in total acceptance. There was no sense of rejection coming coming from Jesus. He said it 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 was like, you know that man knows everything about me, but yet he loves me with everything within him. He said you could just feel it. Now, I won't share the rest of the story. You can actually see it online. But, but he said, Do you, you pick up on these things and you realize. And the Lord said, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. You're going to go back in your body. You're going to fulfill your mission. <laughs> Amen. But see, sometimes it's good to hear that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? We know what the Word of God says. But when someone's actually walked through that and been there and done that. And been in the spirit realm and been with Jesus. And come back. You'll never be the same again. Jesus is so real; he is in this room right now. He is in this room right now. There may become a service, a church service, where as we're ministering the word of God or worshiping him, that he may appear or an angel may appear. You may see him. Why can't that happen? After Jesus' resurrection, He appeared within a 40-day period. He kept appearing to the disciples, talking to them. That can happen today. Are you with me? Now, how would you like to be in one of our services where Jesus appeared and you saw Him? Do you think that would change some things in your life? Amen? It can, I don't know why I'm saying that, but it can happen if we expect Him to show up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't have to wait for the rapture of the church to see him. I mean, he can appear, he can do, he can manifest himself. He loves to manifest himself. And today, he's, there's waves of peace going into you right now. Everything is going to be all right. He's going to take care of you. You're in good hands. I'm not talking about the insurance industry. You are in good hands. You're in the hands of the Father. He's going to take care of you. Okay. So Psalm 23 is Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm full of want. <laughs> What's it say? Notice, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now notice this, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, that's your word and your spirit, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And then finally, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And here's another reason. He goes, that we walk. Now, notice he says we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't camp out there and put a, a tent stake up there and camp out there. He says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Say, like Brother Kenneth Copeland used to say, the shadow of a dog never bit anybody. <laughs> And so, you know, you're, you could be close to a situation that looks pretty bad, you know, and there's this, you're in the shadow of it. He says, he goes, I will fear no evil. Why? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll, I'm not going to fear anything because why? You're with me. You're with me, Lord. You're with me, Lord. Praise God. So I think it's so important that we constantly remind ourselves, the Lord's with me. He's not only with me, he's inside me. Now, Israel had two things. We have three things. They had God with them, and they had God for them. If God be for you, who can be against you? God was with them, Israel. The third thing, only you and I can say, God is in us. Israel couldn't, they couldn't say that because he wasn't in them. Not until the new covenant. Not until Jesus was raised from the dead. And then he sent his spirit to dwell on the inside of us. Now we have God for us. We have God with us. And thirdly, we have God in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Praise God. So it's not, it's not difficult to get healed when the healer lives in you. Okay? Now your body might have been attacked and so forth. But that's why he quickens our mortal body. Okay? We're not exempt from symptoms and things like that that come against us, but the Lord will quicken our mortal bodies because the quickener, the healer, lives inside of you. (laughs) Amen? Now, recently, I had some x-rays taken of some things inside my body, you know, when I was in the hospital. And I'll tell you what, an x-ray is different than a picture, I can tell you that. you can look at a picture and say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so, that's me, you know, and so forth, but... But you know, you show someone your X-ray and said, "I don't know who that is." <laughs> you don't hang X-rays on your refrigerator, you hang pictures, right? And I'll tell you, that God shows us an X- He shows us an X-ray of what we look like in Christ. and we are in Him, in Christ, in the beloved, the greater one lives in us. And the Bible's like an X-ray that shows us. What's on the inside of us? The greater one. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The only way you know that is by looking at the book. That's the only way we know that. But I believe it. Do you? Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Now, put your hands on yourself, on your stomach or whatever. I'm going to pray over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for hungry hearts today, thirsty hearts today. And right now, I release the spirit of faith. You said we having the same spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians 4.13. I release the spirit of faith to rise up on the inside of each and every man and woman in this place right now in Jesus' name. We break the power of all fear and worry and anxiety. I take authority over all fear and I break its power over each one here in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I thank you for power, love, and a sound mind I release that into them right now in Jesus' name. Say, I receive receive the spirit of faith, the spirit of power, power. and a sound mind today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, as you practice doing that, you'll become more persuaded and more convinced. (laughs) And you'll, you'll sense the difference. You can start out like, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It seems like it's more mental. But as you keep saying that and thinking on that, dwelling on that, and the revelation comes, you'll say it with some oomph behind it, say it with some conviction behind it. You'll say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm more persuaded. Abraham became fully persuaded. We can become more and more persuaded And what God said is the truth, no matter what. Amen?